whenever I read it right. But he says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So whenever you find someone that believes that Jesus is the Christ or that Jesus is the Savior, uh, when you find a believer, what you found is someone who's already been born again. They're not wanting to be born again. They're not desiring to be made righteous. They've been, they, are, they are acknowledged as righteous and as born-again children of God because they believe. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begotten loveth him also that's begotten of him. Now that verse just simply means that if we love God, we ought to also love the brethren is what it means. And we ought to love God's people, and we ought to act like that. So he tells us, as we were talking about in Romans chapter 5, Abraham believed God and it was accounted, for him, accounted to him for righteousness. And in Romans 5 and 1, then it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, again, you've got to understand uh, that, uh, and again, you know, in today's world, you know, where, where so much teaching is just, you know, uh, we need to love the Lord. We need to we need to follow Him. And I'm not saying this is wrong or bad. I'm just saying we can be so shallow in our teaching that say that to just say, you know what? I need to love God. I need to love my neighbors. I need to love this. I need to be doing good things. All of that's true. Okay, but we can. <clears throat> But if God, if that's all God wanted us to know about His work, He would have written two pages and said, "Here, go do it." And then, uh, but He wrote this. I had this whole. He inspired men to write this whole book so that we might understand how God loved us, how He chose us. Uh, and I'm not talking about this little group of folks here in the room in uh, uh, in the limit of that. I'm talking about how God loved the people out of every kindred, nation, tongue, tribe on the earth, even as he described Abraham and told him that his seed would be like the stars of the sky and like the sands of the sea. Uh, there's a great innumerable host that no man can number. Turn over to Revelation and you'll find it over there. Uh, when John was seeing that, to, uh, those things that were described to him on the Isle of Patmos and he was lifted up uh, to see things that are in heaven and the angel of the Lord and I believe even Jesus Christ himself was talking to John there in those in those things uh, and as that revelation was given to him he saw a great innumerable number that no man can number standing before the throne of God that is how great the host of heaven is my friends that you and I cannot number how great the uh, the numbers are going to be and then it also tells us that it'll be out of every nation every kindred every tongue, every tribe on the face of the earth. And uh, that, that gives me a, a great comfort and a great joy in knowing those things. But uh, he tells us here that Abraham was justified by faith. Uh, that does not mean he was made to be righteous in heaven uh, for heaven's final world by his belief and by his own faith. There is more than one type of justification that's taught in the Scriptures. Uh, and justification is a legal term to be declared just. Uh, Jesus is the just one. You and I are unjust. Uh, that means you and I are sinners. He is not a sinner. That means he is innocent. You and I are guilty. And the only way we can stand justified before God, uh, the great judge of heaven and earth, is by the blood of Jesus Christ. His shed blood. And you say, well, why is that? That gets into the atonement. 
And I'm telling you, it's taught all throughout the Old Testament, leads us straight over into the New Testament. Then it tells us over there, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Uh, that was taught in the Old Testament scriptures and it's taught in the New Testament scriptures. And so uh, justification for our eternal heavenly home is by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's by nothing else. It's not by mine your good works. It's not by our faith. Uh, it's not by our belief, but only by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, our faith and belief are evidences that we are a child of God. And he says, Abraham gave evidence that he was a child of God because he believed God uh, and he had faith in God. Uh, he had faith, uh, he leaned against that faith so much uh, that he believed and he had hope beyond hope almost because in the, in, the, in the natural mind, and I want you to think about this just a little bit. Uh, you know, the natural mind says heaven, well, think about, think about this. What people say today about Jesus Christ. The natural mind can't comprehend it. The natural mind says that's a fairy tale. That some man would be born of a virgin uh, and, and that uh, he would come and he would die. He would shed, shed his blood. for. That's all just a story made up, right? That's what a lot of people say today. Uh, for, and for the people that believe those things, they're delusional. Uh, they, you know, somehow they're not, they're not right. Something's not right with them because they believe all these strange things. But I'll tell you what, if I was Abraham uh, and I was 100 years old and people say, you know what, Abraham, you're going to have a child. And, uh, and Abraham says, yeah, I believe that. And they'd say, you are delusional. You're believing in fairy tales. But I'm telling you, time after time after time after time in the Word of God, we see God able to do what men can, cannot imagine is possible to be done. Uh, we, can't, we can't even in our mind today, we can't even imagine in our minds that God created the heavens and the earth, set them in place, set them in motion, and maintains them and upholds them by the word of His power. Uh, so we have to come up with these things that, well, it all just evolved over millions of years and blah, 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 and all these things. Uh, and man, and then we all came from some animal somewhere, you know, and so forth. I mean, you know, it just goes on and on and on. Uh, why? Because we cannot believe, or people don't do not want to believe the simple word of God. So he tells us that Abraham believed God, and he was therefore being justified or declared just, declared to be righteous by his faith. He says we have peace with God, and so I'll, I'll skip on past that. I spent a lot of time on that last Sunday, uh, and so he says. Uh, <clears throat> for when we were without sins, verse 6, Romans 5, for when we were yet without, without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. You find a good man, you know, and, and uh, you know, we've seen this, uh, you see this in, ba in battle many times. I I'll tell you, uh, I know Sister Marsha and Brother Bucky went to see this, this show. I don't know if others did. I'll just say it's a very bloody movie. I actually had, had seen this, but, you know, Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, and you see a man who, who time after time after time after time, without a weapon, because he was a, a medic uh, in the service on Okinawa in World War II, he continually put his life into place uh, in, in the line of danger in order to try to save men off that, off of that hillside. 
<clears throat> and, uh, you know, and not only did he do it for those that were his buddies, he did it for those that had treated him terribly. Uh, throughout all of his training. He can, he worked and put himself in the line of fire to be killed over and over and over again to get those men off that hill and get them down to the medics and get them down to the, to the place where they could be done. The Bible tells us over and over again, he says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. You know, you and I, uh, we might say, I'll give my life for my wife and for my children and for my mama and for my daddy and for all those things. I would stand whatever might do. Why? Because I love the dear. But you let some stranger come along. <laughs> well, you know, I, I know he's, I'm, I'm sure he's a good guy, but I'm not sure I want to put my body out there in front of him to, to die for him. Jesus Christ died for us. And not he says not only this, he says, for when we were without strength in due time, when we had no ability of our own, uh, he says, uh, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, I'm telling you, you can imagine all kinds of things, but Christ didn't just go around and say, I'm going to die for them because I can look down through time and see one of these days they're going to love me. That is not why He died for us. He died for us because He loved us and He cared for us and He loved us in spite of who we were. <laughs> that, that's the, that's the ama- one of the amazing things that we look at. God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of from wrath through Him. I want you to, if you've got your Bible with you and you're listening, or if you're just listening to these words, listen to these words carefully. Much more now, being now justified, declared just by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. He didn't say He offered to save you from the wrath if you would just believe or if you would just confess or if you would just accept, or if you would just be this or that or the other. He said through His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath, from wrath through Him. That means it's, it, it's all, you know, you almost get this picture. The, the path flows through Him. Our salvation flows through Him. He says if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, how much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. On one, on one hand, you'd say, man, that's great. Jesus Christ died. He shed His blood and it's by His blood, His life's blood, that we're redeemed, that we're saved. But then He goes on and says, hey, much more than that. Not only are you saved uh, from the wrath to come, but if when we were enemies, we were reckoned to God by, by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. He didn't just die. He rose again. And because He rose again, you and I will have life too. And not only will we have life here, We'll have life there. (laughs) Uh, And so he says, uh, uh, not only that, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. 
thing. I mean, just there, there's that word again. We have received the atonement. You know, and if you don't go back, and, I, and I'm not go, I am not going to go back and, re, and read for you Leviticus chapters 4, 5, uh, maybe 6. I'd have to go back and think about that. And I'm not going to read for you Leviticus chapters 14, 15, and 16. But I'll say this. If you want to really go over and think about some of what I'm talking about, go especially read Leviticus chapter 16. Because Leviticus chapter 16 is the chapter where it lays everything out about the atonement that was made once a year in the Old Testament by the high priest. <clears throat> now, now, the atonement went on this, on this wise. So I'm, I'll tell you where it is. I'm not going to read verse by verse for you. I'll say, uh, I'll give you a homework assignment if you want a homework assignment. Go read that, that chapter and here's, here's how it worked. And in Leviticus chapter 16, he's told that this will be done. We can, you can go back. There's chapters in Exodus, I think like 24, 25, all back in there. All of this stuff is being laid out both in the book of Exodus when they came out of Egypt and also then in Leviticus where he's laying out the, the priesthood. But God appointed from the tribe of Levi that the, the Levites were to be priests forever. They, when, the, when they got over to the land of Canaan, there would be no land for the Levites because the Levites' possession was the, was the priesthood, and then that's the reason the people gave to the priesthood so that they would have food, uh, clothing, raiment, all the things that the priests stood in need of because they, weren't, they didn't have a land. They didn't have crops they went and raised. The people gave their, of their goods to the priests, you know, and so forth so that they could live. All right, so, so all the Levites were priests. All the Levite men were priests. And especially, and I, I thought this was interesting because I, this is something I looked at last night. I thought, okay, I know Aaron was the high priest. So what tribe was Aaron from? Anybody want to guess? Levites. Aaron and Moses were both also Levites. I, you know, in all my years of study, I never thought about it. So God not only made the men high priests, but he especially chose of the Levite tribe, Aaron, to be the high priest. And then the high priest was to, had a particular garment that he would put on every year. In the seventh month, on the tenth day, was the day of atonement that was to be made for the sins of the people. And in order to be able to do that, the Levite, he had to go in and he had to change his clothes. He had to put on, take off the, the golden vestures and so forth, the, the priestly garments. And I'm, I'm imagining in my mind, I, I need to continue studying on this some more. But, you know, they had, the, they had what I call the fancy robes. The high priest had the fancy robes that had the, the shoulder pads, you know, with the stones on there, six on each shoulder for representing the, uh, the six and six, the 12 tribes of uh, Israel. Then they had a breastplate on it. It had 12 stones on it that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. So that the high priest was continually, and he had this little miter hat. I don't know what that miter hat looked like, but I kind of get, you know, you get this picture of something kind of like, you know, the, uh, when you graduate from high school, you know, the, you got that little miter hat that you put on. Well, it may not have looked exactly like that, but it was, you know, kind of a thing like this. And that's how that's how the how priest was dressed. And all the time he was a high priest and he had his high priestly robe on, he was reminded, I'm here doing what I do, representing the tribes of Israel. And I represent them in all that I do. 
<clears throat> so once a year, he went in and he made an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the children of Israel. Now, again, this gets back to particularly talking about, you know, you know what the high priest did not do? The high priest did not go in once a year into the Holy of Holies with blood and so forth. He did not go in and make a sacrifice for the Hittites. He did not go in and make a sacrifice for the Persians. He did not go, go in and make a sacrifice for the Canaanites. Uh, he didn't go in and, and make a sacrifice for the Assyrians. The high priest went in every year and made an atoning sacrifice for his people. The tribes of Israel, that's who he represented. Now, I'm telling you, there's a little picture there, if you can imagine this. There's a picture there that Jesus Christ, when he became, was made a high priest, uh, and he was called to be a high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek, because it is evident that, uh, that he did not come from the tribe of Levi. He came from uh, uh, down through uh, uh, Isaac, Jacob, uh, David, and we're all children of Judah, uh, the tribe of Judah. And, and it's noted over here in the New Testament book of Hebrews, there's nothing said about there ever being a priest from the tribe of Judah. So how could Jesus Christ be made a high priest? Well, he was made one after the order of Melchizedek. Go read Psalm 110. You can read it. Or go back to Genesis. And that's where we'll look at this morning a little bit because Hebrews references you back to Genesis. And it says Melchizedek was the one... Oh, y'all will like this maybe, or maybe think about this. When I was doing the thing on Israel back a few weeks ago, I showed you some pictures of where we went up to Dan. Uh, Dan is up in the northern regions of the, of the uh, parts of Israel. Uh, and, in the, and as we've been studying in Genesis, when, Abraham, when Abraham's nephew Lot was taken prisoner by the kings, Abraham pursued him unto Dan. And there he had a battle and got Lot back. And on the way home, after having gotten all the spoil of the kings that had raided down in the tribe, uh, in the valleys of uh, uh, there uh, of Israel, uh, he came. He he came, and along the way, he encountered this fellow by the name of Melchizedek. And Abraham offered a tenth of all that he had in spoil that he'd received in battle. He offered it as an offering to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek blessed him. And there's some things in that that are, that are interesting because the Bible tells us that uh, a person can be blessed. You know, uh, all of us sit around here this morning and say, you know what I want? I want to be blessed of God. I want God to bless me. Well, you know what? The Bible tells us that the, the lesser is always blessed of the greater. So a blessing comes from us from God because God's greater than we are. Sometimes we're able to bless other people because we've been blessed with things that we can do for other people because God's blessed us. And maybe we have things that are greater than what they have. And so we bestow some of our blessings upon them. Melchizedek, this strange, weird guy uh, that appeared to Abraham over there in the, in, the, uh, in the wilderness, came and he met and Abraham praised him and, and gave a tenth of his offering to him and Melchizedek blessed him. And then David tells us in Psalm 110, talking about Jesus, the coming of Jesus Christ, that he will be made uh, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. <clears throat> so his priesthood wasn't a earthly priesthood 
if you'll allow me to put it there. That's basically what the Bible tells us. In other words, he didn't become a priest because his daddy was a priest. He didn't become a priest because his mother and daddy, his daddy and his daddy's daddy and his granddaddy were all Levites. And so the only reason you're a priest if you were a Levite was because you were the tribe of Levite. That's, that was the reason. But Jesus Christ became a priest because God called him and appointed him to be a priest. Just like, uh, just like Melchizedek was a priest uh, that had no father, no mother, no beginning of days, no end of life. Uh, this strange guy that the Bible describes to us over there says Jesus Christ is forever a, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, there's some interesting things we could talk about that. Maybe we will. But anyway, I want to get back over there and talk about that 16th chapter of the book of Leviticus for just a minute because that's where the, what the high priest accomplished was, was laid out. Once a year, what he had to do on this 10th day of the 7th month was, first of all, he took a bullock... And it says the bullock that he went and sacrificed this bullock uh, before the altar, uh, before the congregation outside the tabernacle. He went and 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 slayed this this bullock, and he took the blood of the bullock and he sprinkled. He put some on the altar and he put some in, in front, poured it around the altar, and all these strange things. To me, you know, there's some strangeness about all this. But all this bullock was done was to sacrifice, was to make an atonement for the priest. Because this priest was a sinner too. And as you go back and you read all those things, Leviticus 4 and 5 and 14 and 15, and you're reading all these things that had to be atoned for, I kept catching something last night that I'd never really seen before in there. And it says, if a man sin against someone else, or if a person commit a sin, uh, and so forth, or, or if the priests commit a sin, and so forth, all throughout the year. And it says, whether he knows it's wrong, or he doesn't know it's wrong. And I thought, ooh, that is interesting. Because it doesn't matter, it did not matter, whether he knew what he had done was wrong, or whether it came to his attention later that what he had done was wrong, or whether it ever came to his attention, if somebody became knowledgeable, it, in some cases he even said, if a man had done wrong, he didn't know he'd done wrong, somebody else noticed he had disobeyed the laws and commandments of God. It was necessary for him to go make an atoning sacrifice. Anytime throughout the year. Uh, he, he trespassed against somebody else or if he offended someone else or if he just secretly broke the laws of God and it comes to his knowledge or somebody else points it out to him, you've broken the law of God. It was necessary for him to go make an atoning sacrifice and all those atoning sacrifices were done exactly the same way. You brought they, they brought the animal in, whether it was a lamb or whether it was a goat or whether it was a bullock or whether it was turtle doves or whatever it was. They brought them in before the priest. They took the blood. They put some on the altar, they poured the rest of the blood around the altar, and so forth. <clears throat> now, when the high priest was making sacrifice for himself, he also had to go in, sprinkle blood in the Holy of Holies. There was things that had to be done there. All these atoning sacrifices were done exactly the same way. I, and, you know, little, little, varia little variation. I'm, I'm going to say it that way, but uh, generally the, the sacrifice was made in the same place. So first of all, the priest had to go in and make a sacrifice for himself. He had to offer a bullock. Then he would bring two goats. And he would bring those two after he had changed his clothes, by the way. Uh, he was changing clothes constantly during this course of this day of atonement, washing himself off, 
You know, you think about some guy making, you know, butchering animals. I mean, he's getting blood all over him continuously. And he's, he's also taking his hands. He's putting blood up on the altar and he's sprinkling blood around. He's going and so forth. <clears throat> now he takes two goats and he brings the two goats out. And the way that the Bible describes it, the goats were facing out against uh, the people, I think it was. or And, and he cast lots before them. And one lot falls on one goat to be uh, the sacrifice to God. It's Jehovah's sacrifice. The other one is called the scapegoat. This scapegoat is is then uh, after so, so he then the one falls on the, the the goat to be sacrificed to God. He takes him, does the same thing. He slays that one, takes the blood, sprinkles it around, all this stuff. Then he goes in and takes some, uh, uh, takes some uh, frank, uh, uh, incense and puts it on, takes some coals off the fire of the altar, puts it in there, goes behind the veil, you know, so that the smoke covers the mercy seat on top of the uh, Ark of the Covenant because that's where God's going to appear to him at. And he takes that blood and he sprinkles it down the, down the mercy seat. Uh, then, he, then he goes in then he comes back out. Then he tells someone to go and take that goat, uh, and he then he then the scapegoat. The priest lays his hands on the scapegoat, and over this scapegoat he confesses all the sins of Israel, but he doesn't kill that goat. The one that has all the sins of Israel confessed on it is let go out into the wilderness, led out into the wilderness by a man, and it says into a land to never be returned again, uh, to, to a faraway land. I'm going to tell you, my friends, Jesus Christ was our scapegoat. Jesus Christ was the one that had all the sins of Israel, all the sins of you and I uh, laid upon him. And I'll tell you, he carried them off into a land, my friends, of forgetfulness, never to be remembered, never to be seen anymore. Uh, And not only that, not only was he the scapegoat, he was also Jehovah's sacrifice. Because his blood was shed by that other, by, by that other one, so he becomes that. He becomes both the the scapegoat and the goat that was sacrificed. He also was the high priest, uh, like Melchizedek, going in, and he was the one making the offering. So when the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is our all in all, I mean, my friends, he's not only the mediator of the new covenant. He's the one that you and I offer our prayers to. He's the one that sacrificed himself, shed his blood. He's the one that offered his own blood before God in the holy place. He's the one that did all of these things that he might redeem us. Now, I was going to go through some things related to uh, uh, <clears throat> to, to Hebrews chapter chapters 3, 4, and 5, and 6, and all those things. But I think what I will do is move over uh, to some things that we find <clears throat> to, uh, find uh, in, in the 8th uh, chapter of the book of Hebrews, and we'll just kind of begin there, and hopefully we can, can, can get over to some things in 9 before we finish up, because time's getting way gone on all this information this morning. So anyway, in, in, the, in Hebrews chapter 8, and now it says, now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. 
And every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it was it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. Jesus Christ was made a high priest forever. And you can go back and read through uh, Hebrews 4, 5, and 6, and we may cover that in a coming Sunday or so. Uh, but uh, he was made forever an, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was this strange guy found in Genesis uh, over there that Abraham offered sacrifices to. And the Bible describes him here, uh, and maybe I will go back over to, to Hebrews 7. It says, For this Melchizedek was king of Salem. Verse 1, chapter 7 of Hebrews. For this Melchizedek was king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness. What, does, what, does it, what did the word Melchizedek mean? For one thing, it meant king of righteousness. Uh, the fact that he was the king of Salem also uh, means, uh, first of all, interpretation, king of righteousness. After that, also king of Salem, which is king of peace. The word Salem meaning peace. Now, it's very easy for us to make a pretty small leap in here and say, oh, he was the king of Salem. That sounds a whole lot like the last few uh, few uh, five letters of a place called Jerusalem. And so it's very likely that this, uh, this priest Melchizedek lived in the area of Jerusalem uh, what is, and was called the king of Salem, the king of, of, of righteousness, the king of peace. And it's also very interesting. He was a priest and he was also a king. Do you know that if we go back and look at the Old Testament scriptures, the tribe of Levi, they were priests. But they were never kings. The kingship rode through the tribe of Judah. Right? Now we, now we look and see Jesus Christ, who is of the tribe of Judah, but is also made a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Do you know why one of the things I think that, that many people may be missing some of this typology of all of this? The only person you can go back and one of the only people you can go back and find in the Old Testament that was both a priest and a king, Melchizedek. All the other priests, Aaron priesthood, high priest, Levitical priest, priesthood, no kings. The kings were coming through Judah. Uh, But we know that Jesus Christ was what? The line of the tribe of Judah. He was born through the lineage of David. He was born through the lineage of Judah. He was born through the lineage of David the king uh, and so forth. All down through that line, he was of the tribe of Judah, which made him eligible to be king of Israel. It also, because he was a priest after the order of Melchizedek, he was also high priest unto God. Therefore, uh, we have this Abraham, verse 2, chapter 7, first being by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after this also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. I'm telling you, Melchizedek is the, one of the most mysterious people in the Old Testament Scriptures. Nobody knows where he came from. Nobody knows where he went to. We have no record of any lineage of his, of, of who his children were. But he was a king and a priest to God, and he was such a great, revered man that Abraham, the father of the children of Israel, went and made, paid homage unto him and gave him tithes and offerings, and he blessed him there in that place.
Now consider how great this man was. Uh, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils. And verily they are of the sons of Levi who received the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. So he tells us here, it's interesting. You know, the children of Israel were constantly going and making tithes to the Levitical priesthood. That's what the law commanded them to do. He says... The, the writer here in Hebrews says, but you know who the Levites paid, uh, paid tithes to? They paid tithes to Melchizedek. You say, how did they do that? In Abraham. Uh, they were in Abraham because they were, that was his descendants. So they were in, uh, in Abraham in that sense. And so when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, the Levites pay, paid tithes to Melchizedek. So he says... Uh, <clears throat> He says, but verily they are of the sons of Levi who receive the offer of the priesthood and have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. Here was the man that had promises of God that in him shall all the nations of the earth be blessed and the seed of the of the uh, of the woman was going to come through uh, through the blessings of of the lineage of Abraham yet this man was being blessed by this man Melchizedek you say Abraham's a great guy he's a guy that God blessed in particular and gave covenants to yet Abraham's going and making uh, ties to him and this man is such a great man he's blessing Abraham who is this guy <clears throat> well we don't know I mean we really 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 do not know I know sometimes people say well that's really just an Old Testament appearing of Jesus Christ well that you know that would work up until a point except for the fact Jesus Christ was made a priest after the order of Melchizedek it would seem strange for him to say that he was after the similitude of Melchizedek when Mel, if Melchizedek was him. Uh, that would be like he's of the similitude of himself. Well, so I don't think that works too well. Uh, so he tells us here, uh, Here, men, uh, and without contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. Verse 7 of, of Hebrews 7. And here, men that die receive tithes, but there... He receiveth tithes of whom it is written that he liveth. Melchizedek was written as a man that didn't, almost didn't die, you know, yet he was receiving tithes. And as, as I may say so, Levi, who also receiveth the tithes, payeth tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there another priest that should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? So he said, if the Levitical priesthood was how we were being made whole through all their sacrifices that they were making, why would we have to have another priest over here after the order of Melchizedek? And, and the answer is you wouldn't. There would be no need for another priesthood if all the Levitical priesthood was making everything perfect. But he says, For the priesthood being changed, there, there is made of a necessity also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaining another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah and out of the tribe which Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident that for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there riseth another priest. 
For it is not after the law of carnal commandment, but after the power of endless life. It is the one that has power over all things, my friends, that gives, uh, gives the commandment that Jesus Christ will be made forever a priest after the order of Melchizedek. <clears throat> so I would go on through those, some, some of those things, uh, but I'll, I will skip across now to, to the ninth chapter, skipping across the eighth chapter of the book of Hebrews to get to this. <clears throat> For then verily the first covenant had ordinances of divine service. And a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, uh, which is called the sanctuary. And after that, the second veil, uh, and after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenant. And over it, the cherubims of the glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot speak particularly. Now, I, I want to say, give, give you this little thing to go, go with some of this. We talk about the atonement. I said last week, atonement mean, means covering. It's also a, a reconciliation. <clears throat> Do you know the other word, the other place, one of the other places in the Old Testament where the word atonement is used but not translated atonement? <clears throat> it's the pitch that was put on the outside of the ark. In Genesis chapter six, when he when the Lord told Moses to pitch uh, or to cover the ark, the ark is wherein was uh, God carried His people to the other side of the flood, and it had to be covered or atoned for on the outside. It was covered with pitch, which was an atoning covering for that ark. That's very interesting. Uh, that atonement, there was atonement shown there in the in the old ark. Also, then the word mercy seat, which is the covering of the uh, of the ark of the covenant, uh, where the blood was sprinkled. That word mercy seat is not the exact same word as atonement, but it's also like a a, a um, related word. I mean, it's, it's spelled slightly different, but it's a word related. So, so that so that word of uh, mercy seat and atonement and the pitch that covered the outside of the ark are all kind of a family member of the same word, uh, and so he tells us now this that the mercy seat which is there, uh, which was uh, overlaid round about to, uh, the uh, the manna which was in the pot and the Aaron's rod that budded, and over it was the cherubim's of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest always went into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. And into the second, the high priest alone once every year without blood, he uh, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying the way into the holiest of all, was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect. All the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer could never take away their sins. There was something else needed, and it was the blood of the spotless Lamb of God, the same Passover Lamb that's typified back when the children of Israel were set free from the land of Egypt. That spotless Lamb had to come and shed His blood for them. He says this one stood in carnal ordinances, but Christ, verse 11, Hebrews 9, but Christ being come a high 
high priest of good things to come by a greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. You know what? The priest had to go in every year. Seventh, tenth day, seventh month. They made an atonement for the sin, for their own sins and for the sins of the people. And you know why? What? It never took away their sins. In fact, their sins were laid upon that scapegoat that went out to carry it away into the wilderness and the blood of that one was never shed. In fact, uh, we see though that Jesus Christ as the high priest after the order of Melchizedek came and offered uh, his own blood and it says uh, that here in verse 12 of Hebrews 9, neither by by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. The atonement was made. The sacrifice for sins was made. He just had to do it once. He didn't have to go in year after year after year. And there's no need for us to make sacrifice, a blood sacrifice anymore, because our sacrifice has been made. Now we worship and praise the King that's seated on the right hand of the throne of the Father on high, there interceding for you and me. I'm telling you, we have a, we have a high priest that's worthy of all of our praise, all of our honor, because why? He gave Himself and made a sacrifice that you and I couldn't make. He made a sacrifice those Old Testament priests couldn't make. He made a sacrifice that God Himself accepted. And we know God accepted it because He raised Him up from the grave and acknowledged that His blood was worthy. Now then, I'll read one verse and we'll close. So I'll turn to John 17 because I told you this morning... That, we, that this, this atonement was limited. Well, who limited it? Well, God limited it. And here's what he says in, Rome, in John 17, verses 1 and 2. And these words, now think of Jesus Christ. He's about to go make this atoning sacrifice, uh, and he's going to be crucified on the cross. And the night before that, he's praying his, what I'd almost call a high priestly prayer. As he kneeled down in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, the hour's come to glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. How many was he going to die for and give eternal life to? The same number the Father gave him to die for. That's who limited it. That's what limited it. That's why the blood was shed not for the... uh, entire were every person that ever lived on the face of the earth but it was made for god's israel and when i say god's israel i'm not talking about the nation israel i'm talking about those people out of every kindred nation tongue jews gentiles uh black white chinese whatever it might be even people in north korea you know god died god died for them jesus shed his blood for them and i'll tell you if he did they're going to be with him in heaven one of these days because Jesus Christ did not fail upon the cross. May God bless you.